Welcome everybody, this is our first podcast episode over at St. Mary's Emergency Medicine Residency. And for our first show we have our special guest, Dr. Nabil Khoury. Thank you for coming on to our show. Well, thank you very much, Adib, for having me here. And uh, just before we even begin, I'd like to have him introduce himself. He's got quite a vast experience in the field. Um, so go ahead, Dr. Khoury. Well, uh, thank you very much. I, I have, uh, just to, by way of background, uh, I am a, a physician who's been practicing since 1994. I went to medical school at the University of Michigan and did my residency, which was a combined internal medicine, emergency medicine residency at Henry Ford Hospital. Uh, after that, I worked in the Henry Ford Health System in various capacities, as, of course, as a clinician and also as an administrator and a physician leader in the health system. Uh, most recently, I was department chair at uh, Oakwood Hospital in Dearborn, and then joined EPMG in St. Mary Livonia only about three months ago. And I'm really delighted to be here and to work with the residents. Yes, and uh, I'm one of the residents, and I can say for myself that I've been very delighted to work with him on the very few shifts that we've had thus far. As with most medicine interviews, uh, always bring up the generic question of why did you choose medicine and specifically, why did you decide to choose medicine with emergency medicine? Well, it's funny you mention because um, I'm a kind of person, uh, you know, you might guess from my internal medicine and emergency medicine background, I tend to have uh, do two things at a time. And when I was an undergrad, I did, uh, I had a major in biology, but a minor in economics. <clears throat> and actually, I applied and uh, matriculated in law school before I went to medical school. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's kind of funny because I, I, I suppose that's the way my brain functions. I have some uh, interest in uh, the arts or the administrative side of, um, uh, or the literary side, I would say, and also the sciences. Uh, but ultimately, the reason I left law and actually went into medicine was I think uh, medicine is one of the few fields, uh, probably anywhere, where you can really make a very positive contribution in almost every single thing that you do every day. And feel very rewarded every single day and be rewarded uh, by having a good job uh, that's typically fairly well paying and secure and it's universal and that's something I really didn't appreciate when I was younger is how important medicine is in the lives of people. Uh, I was young and healthy at that time and I never appreciated how important it is to be a doctor and as I kind of over the course of the years uh, you know, when you hear the call, is there a doctor in the house? I was always very proud to say, you know, yes, I can help. And particularly our field in emergency medicine is one that's probably the most practical and the most, um, uh, I would say, uh, useful in day-to-day -day life. In fact, yesterday when I was driving to uh, work, I stopped off and dropped my son off, and there was a car in a parking lot that hit a pedestrian. And actually, the lady was laying on the asphalt and I was able to just jump out of the car and you know assess her and kind of reassure her and get her up off the uh, the pavement so it, it's really wonderful and a privilege to do this it almost becomes an instinct it is it really is and being you know both a medicine resident and an emergency medicine resident how did you feel the diff was there a significant difference in how you were treating the patient you know we're down in the ER, things were a lot more fast-paced. You had to be on your feet all the time versus being on the floors where you have more time to make decisions and you have um, you know, more, more of a capacity to get to know the patient and uh, more labs and imaging to be done. 
Right. So I would say um, in internal medicine, I think, uh, not, you know, not to belabor, belabor the obvious, but your population is adult patients and obviously non-traumatic, non-surgical type conditions. The thing I like about internal medicine is that you get a certain depth in managing and learning about those patients. And the other thing that's different is the longitudinal care. So you get to look at kind of disease processes over a prolonged period of time rather than a few hours like the emergency medicine perspective. You're looking over a few days or weeks or months or years, you know, if you're an ambulatory doctor. Um, I have tended to practice emergency medicine all of my career because I think I like the, uh, the more acute care and the wide variety of the type of cases we see. Um, medicine tends to kind of be a little bit more stereotypic, typically uh, older uh, adults with a lot of the same kind of disease patterns. What we see in the ER, as you, you have seen in your short career, uh, is remarkable. I mean, yeah. every case is different. And it stays that way for the, your whole career. And it, in my opinion, and I think this is a personality thing, is it keeps it interesting because if you have a short attention span, maybe like I do, uh, you want to see different things and kind of keep piquing your interest as you're in the clinical arena. So it's a very nice uh, practice. Okay, and then, you know, getting from your experience on the floors, and this you're saying this continuity of care, and um, obviously on the floors, you do a lot of making sure the patient has good case management, uh, making sure they have uh, good discharge planning. Uh, they have a good follow-up if they need home care nursing that's set up for them on the floor. Now when you go back into the ER, does that still stick with you in the ER and you're always thinking forward and thinking how am I going to keep the patient out of the hospital, uh, prevent any future complications, and making sure they have adequate follow-up like you would on the floor? I think you've touched on probably one of the most important trends in medicine and that is the increased recognition of coordination of care. So the coordination and transitions of care and the requirements that patients need uh, are becoming uh, more and more the responsibility of all care providers. So, you know, still until today, uh, we often as emergency physicians refer patients back to their primary care physicians. But I think that we're going to start to see a time and not in the not too distant future where we're going to be more responsible for providing things like physical therapy, uh, appropriate follow-up, linkages for follow-up, uh, and have kind of a total, I would say, care package for patients to provide all that they need and not necessarily in the acute care environment. In other words, uh, patients don't necessarily have to be in the hospital to get, to get placed in a nursing facility or in a rehab facility. Now, the reason we don't do that today, you know, a patient who might need that kind of service typically goes through the hospital and then goes back out to uh, a rehab facility, is we don't have the social and the uh, uh, linkage infrastructure to make it happen directly from the ED. And I think that uh, it's going to be interesting. I think internal medicine is going to start to look more and more like emergency medicine in its much faster paced treatment. And I think emergency medicine is going to start looking more like internal medicine as it becomes more comprehensive in the type of care that it delivers and it's required to deliver, as a matter of fact. Uh, case in point, just yesterday, we had a, a, a one of the um, a new patient diagnosed with a DVT. And I would say four or five years ago, that patient would have been admitted to the floor because it was a proximal DVT. 
maybe two years ago or three years ago, we started putting those patients in observation. Last night, we wrote a prescription for Eloquist for the patient and they went home. And we, needed, and we connected with their PCP and made sure that the doctor was uh, um, kind of uh, supportive of that uh, plan of care. And we got appropriate follow-up for them this week, later this week. So my point is that you're gonna to start to see uh, a lot more coordination of care and uh, concomitant with that, uh, reduction in resource utilization as well. I can definitely see that being more of an issue now, especially in my limited experience in the ER so far. You know, case management's definitely pushing for less OBS admissions. Uh, there's a lot more stringent requirements to get them in the hospital. You know, they're pushing for more outpatient care. And so I could definitely, you know, see your point and try to do more of a preventative type approach in the ER and not just wait for that to happen on the floor. Um, and, and it's important for us also that as we... Um, make those changes that we make sure that they're evidence-based and safe uh, to do. So the thing we don't want to do, obviously, is uh, to try to cut corners, and that's not the purpose of what we're doing. It's not so much that we're uh, necessarily just trying to save money, but to try to provide care in a smarter way, because our healthcare model is extremely expensive, and it becomes untenable as the country gets older. Uh, a lot more people are going to require these very intensive evaluations and treatments and how can we kind of decentralize that outside the hospital and do it more in the person's home or on an outpatient basis and still deliver the same quality of outcomes and results but do it at a lower cost. And uh, being on the subject and we're slowly talking about the future of emergency medicine uh, beyond just the stuff we've been talking about what else do you see happening in the future of the ER? You know obviously there's no secret that the ER is seeing more and more primary care uh, types of complaints. Uh, we're managing, you know, things like basic hypertension, hyperglycemia from poorly controlled diabetes. What else do you see happening in the future of the ER? So it's pretty interesting that with the Affordable Care Act um, and the expansion of primary care services and, and coverage, everybody thought, at least, you know, uh, initially that emergency medicine would shrink, that the ER's volumes were going to go down and primary care was going to grow and, and kind of the uh, dynamic would have occurred um, uh, much quicker. Yet what we saw, and it was a national phenomenon, is that the volumes in almost all emergency departments went up fairly substantially, 10 to 15 or even uh, more percent over the last two or three years. And what I see is that it's kind of an incomplete transformation. I think that uh, people uh, need to still understand and utilize the primary care model, which I think is pretty well validated as being the lowest cost and most uh, impactful type model for healthcare. But at the same time, we, are, we remain the safety net. So what's gonna happen, I think, is that the ER is gonna play a bigger and bigger role uh, a, in type uh, cases such as observation cases, where I think we're going to start to go away from the two or three hours per patient in the ER and start to manage patients maybe up to 24 hours on a more consistent basis. And it's going to start to become uh, a, a core competency of emergency physicians to do that. Um, secondly, I think that the transitions and connecting the acute illness to the ongoing care or the chronic care is going to fall much more in our responsibility. So coordination of care is going to be key. I, do, I think in the future, social workers, case managers, um, you know, durable medical supplies, pharmaceutical services are all going to be part of emergency medicine care. So to give you a small example, 
uh, how many times have we all seen patients who come back to the ER because let's say they were prescribed antibiotic but they never got it filled and so their condition worsened, right? So what can we do? Well, wouldn't it be a neat thing if we could discharge patients with their prescription, not actually with a piece of paper, but with their medicine, so that we then we reduce the uh, likelihood of failed treatments and worsening of their condition. We need to have that infrastructure. We need to have a pharmacy, uh, pharmacy services 24 hours a day. Just yesterday, again, another interesting case uh, where a lady had a hip injury and we were going to put her in observation or admit her even to trauma for if it was fractured. Fortunately, her hip wasn't broken. And after she got a little bit of pain meds, I got her up and she walked with a walker and we provided that walker for her. And then I wrote for a requested for home PT to uh, go to her home in the next day or two to help her and make sure that she has a full recovery. That's, that kind of thing didn't happen in the ER very much uh, three or four years ago. And now it's, we're starting to see that this is probably, A, it's just as good as an outcome. B, the patient's happier by going home than, than going to a rehab facility or coming into the hospital. And C, it's less expensive. Yeah. So I think we're, you know, uh, kind of transitioning and transforming emergency medicine. And I think it's a very exciting time for us. And we're going to be very pivotal because we're going to be the bridge uh, that uh, links acute care with chronic care. So as a, again, as a future attending, I, can, I may be uh, expecting myself to, you know, at discharge, have a prescription in the hands of the patient, not just the actual paper, but the actual meds, having to have a script for physical therapy if needed, have an actually confirmed follow-up appointment, because I've seen that in some hospitals on the floor that have a set-up appointment already so that the patient doesn't have to do all the legwork. Pretty much everything to prevent a bounce back within the next few days because of some complication, some social issue. Um, and I can totally see your point that that can definitely save a lot of time and money for the ER and also make it easier for the patients so they don't have to do all the complicated work on their own. You know, critical care is a big thing right now in the ER. A lot of docs want to see the ICU down in the ER. It's, it's you know, it's exciting. It's uh, more invasive, a lot more procedures. Uh, definitely have to use a lot more. Uh, thinking, do you see that as you know having both of these in the ER? You know, because you already talked about long-term observation in the ER. Now, do you see the ICU actually coming down to the ER as well? So, I think it's a great point that you raise because you're really raising the other the other uh, end of the spectrum, which is you know the critic most critical uh, patients. I think there's probably uh, truth in that that uh, the trend is going to be that we deliver the most cost-effective, highest quality care in the ED. Now, most of the time, that means that we try to avoid admissions. But of course, we all know that time in medical care is, in acute medical care, is everything. We see that in MI, time to treatment of MI, time for uh, treatment for stroke, for sepsis, for trauma. All of the major uh, illnesses that we tend to see have uh, one of their principal um, uh, quality measures is time to treatment. So to your point, a critically ill patient does need to get critical services and uh, critical care in the emergency department. So yes, is that going to be part of the trend? I would say yes, but I would also say that it's part of that whole continuum of how do you deliver the most cost-effective and best quality care uh, at the right time. So the right care for the right patient at the right time. And so 
Yes, there will be a more of a role for, I think, emergency physicians with critical care training. And that's an exciting thing as well. But it's also part and parcel of the whole transformation of the specialty. And I, uh, you, you're going to see things like freestanding emergency departments. So uh, again, there's so much that we do. And if you think about it, maybe 20% or 25% of our patients are admitted. What's happening with the other 75%? Do they really need to come to hospitals, which is probably the most high, uh, highest cost uh, unit yeah. of service? You could have uh, freestanding emergency departments, and there have been many states that have piloted this, actually run by private groups like our own, uh, our EPMG yeah. group. Um, and start to see this kind of become a bigger phenomenon in, throughout the country where you're taking the care to the local communities. And I think that's great. Think about all the transport times that you would save for so many patients um, and transport, uh, also transport costs. Agreed. So a lot of interesting things happening. And I think, you know, for a person in residency currently, you have a wonderful specialty ahead of you and uh, really the sky's the limit and you can take your career in virtually any direction that you want to, whether it's a critical care or more longitudinal care, uh, it's all open for emergency physicians. Agreed. Um, being an administrator and a clinician at the same time, you've had a lot of experience in both. You know, as residents, we have about a month of administrative um, exposure. What would, you, what would you say is a good, if, if at least just one thing, something for us to take from an administrative month. What's one thing that's really important to take with us and uh, apply to our everyday clinical shifts? So I, th I think <clears throat> the thing that really uh, excites me about administration is the piece of uh, creativity and the problem solving that you can do. So on a, when you look at any problem from an administrative perspective, you're looking for a global solution. You, let's say whatever, you state your problem that you're dealing with or try how, what you're trying to improve and then you can create a new model that will then be applicable to all patients. So as clinicians, we, do our, we act patient by patient. We don't typically act on a more global or system approach. And administration it really allows you to do that. You can identify a problem, come up with a, a solution, pilot it, make sure it works, make sure it's sustainable, and then you've really impacted the way you deliver care in your facility or you know, maybe even larger on a national level. Um, you know, another way to do that, of course, is to do clinical research or even bench research to transform the way we uh, deliver care. But administration really, I, for me, has been a very refreshing part of my practice. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, I remember when I first went into emergency medicine, people would say, oh, you're lucky because you, you go in, you do your shift, and then you're off. But when you do administration, you're not off anymore on yeah. your off hours. You're doing other activities but if you love what you do it's a great way to really uh, have a fulfilling uh, aspect of your job that's a little different than clinical yeah. care and um, especially as you get older I think it's important to develop a niche of interest a niche of expertise whether that's education or research or uh, EMS or quality you know whatever it might be administration is one of those things okay. and uh, this is the final question and do you have any advice for these upcoming first-year attendings? Absolutely. So <laughs> I think, first of all, as you look for jobs, it's uh, very uh, easy for a person to be lured by pay as being kind of the primary um, driver for choosing your job. And I would say, even though you've all worked very hard and you're 
uh, you know, have it as delayed gratification. Sometimes you're 30 years old before you get out and uh, start practicing. Pick a job that is one that's going to make you happy to go to work every day, that the people that you are going to work with uh, you like, that the patient population is, is one that you enjoy, the environment is good, the support is good, so you can flourish. You know, to just focus on some of the material aspects, I think you'll shortchange yourself. The other thing I would strongly advise, and I think I would say this from personal experience, is if you're in an academic track, stay in the academic track as long as you can. In other words, build your CV. You can never, uh, they can never take away the work that you've done, and it'll always be to your credit. But the problem is if, if you get off of that academic track or, or no longer have a field of interest or expertise, it's very difficult to get back into it. So there may be a time where you just want to be a clinician and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you have an inkling that, well, maybe I'd like to do some research, well, do it when you leave your residency. Do it early in your career so that you can kind of uh, maintain and continue to grow in that path. When you leave it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to get grants and, or, or to get that kind of support. And the same thing really with administration. Start you know, on a small scale, develop your skills, go further, and um, try different things. But keep, it, keep that aspect of your career alive and, and uh, vibrant so that you can enjoy it as you get uh, more senior in your career. And essentially going back to your advice with regards to administration, it's just one aspect of creating a niche for yourself, right? You know, um, so if you can't put in the time after you're done with your residency, if you want to do a fellowship or get into research, that might allow you to have a more room to expand later on in life and absolutely. avoid the burnout of just doing clinical shifts. Right, absolutely. And th that's the nice thing is that you have that flexibility. But I will say, I w the one cautionary note with all that is I would always recommend physicians to continue their clinical practice. I think. Um, you know, there are some jobs out there that, you know, might be chief medical officer or something of that sort where maybe you wouldn't do any clinical work. Your main value as a doctor is your clinical expertise. And stay current. You maintain your credibility with your colleagues and with others in the hospital or in the health system. And um, uh, do both by all means, but don't, but don't ever leave the clinical practice. At least a little bit you should do it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, hopefully this is the beginning of a long and prosperous podcast series. Okay, wonderful. And I'm sure we'll have you again. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much Adib, and uh, wish all our residents continued success. You guys are, you guys rock, so thanks. All right, thanks so much. All right.